Welcome back to the Kogo Pod. I'm Daniel Lazar. Thank you so much for joining us. On this episode, I am joined by a splendid group of eight students who are going to debate the motion Western liberal democracy would be wrong for China. This is a debate that took place on the friendly grounds of the Intelligence Squared debate stage, and they set it up as such. People everywhere are better off living in liberal democracy. That's been the reigning assumption of the Western world. But could it be we've got it wrong? If you are one of the world's billions of poor peasants, might you not be better off under a system dedicated to political stability and economic growth, one that's lifted 400 million out of poverty? rather than one preoccupied with human rights, the rule of law, and the chance to vote out unpopular rulers? Thanks to the Chinese model of government, life expectancy in Shanghai is now higher than in New York. And it's no wonder that so many of the countries that neighbor China, Russia, Vietnam, Cambodia, now look to China rather than to the West for inspiration. So is China better off? without democracy? Or is that just the age-old mantra of the tyrant? And with that framing in mind, we are going to have four students arguing for the motion and four students arguing against the motion, Western liberal democracy would be wrong for China. And it is important that I postulate here that the debaters are not necessarily debating their preferred position. In fact, I will say that most do not have the luxury of debating their preferred position, but they will be debating assiduously nonetheless. Again, the motion, Western liberal democracy would be wrong for China. Can we hear some arguments, the strongest arguments for the motion? So. I just want to start off by saying that China has had no history, no ideological basis for democracy the way Western civilizations have had. And of course, in a separate discussion, but a point that I want to make is that democracy cannot simply be imported. And it isn't some pretty gift wrapped in a bow that we should expect to be received with open arms. I believe we shouldn't be blinded by Western hubris and arrogance. And we need to recognize and understand better where China's coming from. It has a history rife with instability and invasion. And one of those primary invaders being the UK, one of the liberal democracies we've discussed in this class. Um, its size is unparalleled with over a billion citizens. And from this, we have this very pragmatic government emerging from this history of instability. And whether we care to admit it, it has done its job. Now China's on the freeway to becoming one of the largest economies in the world, surpassing the USA in just a few decades. As you mentioned in the opening, it has drastically decreased poverty. And compared to three decades ago, there has indeed been political reform, while not in 
a Western traditional way that we are used to seeing. But that's the point. China is neither the China it used to be, nor is it the Western liberal, liberal democracy that many hope it will become, and nor should it be. The Chinese people's priorities are different. And from that, we get a different response that, that differs from our traditional Western ways. I'd like to just expand on that idea and how the Chinese people have experienced a lot of instability and a lot of chaos, you could even say. And it being still so recent, the Chinese people are averse to changing their system once again. They have gone through different political changes or regime changes before, and they now, I believe, and this is why I support the motion, is that they don't want to see another change and because that would bring more risk factors, more unknown. That is something completely new, something they have never really experienced before, this democracy. So to them, that's just too big of a risk to take. And although maybe the current regime still leaves some freedoms out for some people, and certain aspects of a liberal democracy that, that maybe all people should have, then again, that is our opinion. That is our Western outlook looking at China. So due to these reasons, it would be wrong for China to become a democracy as it would be too big of a risk and would create more instability than the people are prepared for. I'm not sure if, if it's really valid that the economy would have boomed the way it did. Because if we look at India, in 1950, they had more or less the exact same uh, economic uh, GDP. And they had access to international markets. They had access to a massive labor force, right? Many parallels there. They had access to a huge country. And nonetheless, China is doing so much better. And I would say that largely is due to the fact that they don't have a democracy. They could support companies the way they needed to that just simply aren't possible in a democracy. We have economic liberalization in China, and it's working great, and it isn't a democracy. Yeah, so I want to address some things that were said by the other side about how Chinese authoritarian model lifted people out of poverty and developed a nation. And I think that's true. And I think we can recognize that the system did a lot for them. However, I don't think that that provides an excuse for them to grip onto power. The benefit of having a, a more developed economy and a like more developed country in general is that now you're in a better position to adopt Western liberal democracy because it's easier for you because your people have more uh, wealth simply. Um, so it's really the, the excuse of China being a third world nation, therefore it being difficult for um, for it to adopt a more democratic model is sort of fleeting uh, as China's wealth rises in the world. Now it's the second strongest economy and I really see the economic argument not really as an excuse anymore for it to violate human rights and uh, sort of just grip on to power. Uh, and then to the point that uh, China lacks a democratic political culture or a political history, I think that is true. However, we do have to keep in mind that that history needs to be established by a first step. So if we, like every country had to take the first step towards democracy with no history behind it. So China has to do this eventually, the sooner the better. They're already late. Uh, as it is. And once they start establishing that uh, political culture uh, of democracy, the entire process will become easier. 
to say that now, because China's economy has been developed, it needs to change to a liberal democracy is to mischaracterize one of the main functions of the Chinese government, which is pretty much the aim of all governments to care for the citizens and to lift them out of poverty and such, which is exactly what the PRC has done. So we have seen over the last like, 30 or more years how very successful the Chinese government has been, what a government is supposed to do, which is care for the well-being of its citizens and bring economic prosperity to the country. And that is precisely what it has done, as we can see, because it, it has had astronomical economic growth. And so I think because of that is proving that the model that China has works for the country and will continue to bring prosperity um, and further power to China in the future, which is exactly what the Chinese country and the Chinese population want. I'm not convinced that this phenomenal economic growth rate that China has shown in the last decades is sustainable the way that you're you're making it out to be because obviously it's easy to grow. Like we've said this before, it's easy to grow from nothing. The Chinese economy was pretty much stagnated for 200 years. And then I'm like, I'm not trying to um, reduce what the PRC did. They did implement a lot of strategies that led to this phenomenal and almost unprecedented economic growth. But I think that you're not recognizing that this is unsustainable. I think a lot of their legitimacy and stability is very dependent on this economic development. And if this ceases to happen, as we can see in a COVID pandemic, like there's fears of recessions, of like depressions and stuff like that. It's difficult for the government then to try and keep the population as harmonious as the Chinese government really, really, really strives to keep. And I also think it's mischaracterized to say that the PRC has cared for the well-being of their citizens. That seems a little bit too nice. It's also not at all clear that these economic achievements wouldn't have been possible with a more democratic system. Um, one of the main things that led to China's economic boom was its entry into global markets, which would have been easier had it been more democratic and more liberalized. Privatization was one of the things, which is a characteristic of liberal democracies, that led to Chinese growth. In fact, working together with other countries for trade only becomes easier when you adopt values. I also want to say something about human rights and it matters that the government that's committing ethnic cleansing is also the one that's doing the economic growth. And people often seem to think it's a question of whether we have food on the table or whether we have sort of protections for citizens. And I think that that's a really dangerous way of considering government. I would say one of the fundamental differences between China and Hong Kong that we're missing here is that Hong Kong really wasn't China and arguably still isn't for like more than a century. So it seems absurd to really compare them because of course it's more viable to have a democracy and a, a stronger economy in Hong Kong as compared to China because the CCP never really had its grips in Hong Kong. It was never like really hooked in there. Whereas in mainland China, if you if you fundamentally undermined the CCP and implemented like a democracy, a Western liberal democracy, it would devolve into chaos. I think if you implemented 
a Western liberal democracy, what would be left? The CCP would be gone. What would be left, really? It would be absolute mayhem. You'd go back to, like, what, 1920 and have, like, warlords everywhere. You just mentioned India as an example of why, you know, democracy might not have led to the same economic success in China. But I want to bring up a sort of counterexample, which is Hong Kong, you know, an area that I would say is much more analogous to China, which has enjoyed great economic success similar to China with a liberal democracy or at least a more liberal democracy based on the British legacy of the last century. So seeing as people in Hong Kong have enjoyed more liberal democracy and want to maintain that alongside a lot of mainland Chinese people who have who have joined in their protests, it doesn't seem to me at all like liberal democracy is fundamentally opposed to the kind of economic growth which China has enjoyed. Because, I mean, Hong Kong is so similar to China. I really don't know how you can argue that. In my opinion, that's a faulty analogy comparing Hong Kong to mainland China for one big reason, and that is the reason that it is big. China is massive. Although Hong Kong is a big city, I would call it a city more than a country, really. It has, what is it, 8 million people, close to that. So if you compare 8 million to 1.3 billion, you can't tell me that because their democracy, and it wasn't a full democracy, they never actually had the right to vote for their chief executive, meaning they never actually had a true democracy. To say that only because of that, that that would also work for mainland China is, I think, a stretch for me. The point is that the Chinese government has, as you have stated in the past, adapted more liberal types of economic policies with some more privatization and broader trade with the outside world. And I think that exactly proves the point that China doesn't need a Western liberal democracy in the sense that we are discussing. They can have and have shown over the last decades that this works. They can have a more liberal style economy that because China is so big can be more efficiently run and managed successfully by the Chinese government. Yeah, I find this projection astounding here, saying that our side only has the economic argument when that is literally the only point that authoritarian China has. The legacy of authoritarian China in China and internationally is genocide and famine, economic mismanagement that leads to the death of millions of people in, uh, under Mao uh, that only got better due to economic liberalization. So that point's already taken. Uh, the only other humanitarian aspect of uh, authoritarian China is the genocide and the killing of people in Tiananmen Square, uh, in Zhangzhou, and and all these like all these instances where the government just cracks down violently on its own people. And from a humanitarian perspective alone, the dem democratic model there would be clearly better uh, to the point of stability. Um, dem democracies tend to be more stable than non-democracies because people actually get to choose their government. Uh, that seems pretty logical. Um, and economic liberalization is the way forward, especially in a globalized market. So that's not even up for debate. I feel that there's a fundamental flaw or like oversight with the opposition's argument, which is that they're focusing only on economic growth and trying to perpetuate that. At least that's what we've been discussing so far. And I think our side's argument is that, yes, okay, we could agree that introducing a democracy might um, reduce or stagnate that growth slightly, but at a cost or like at the benefit of introducing human rights, there's a lot of civic unrest 
in China right now. And as we're becoming more and more of a global player, citizens see more and more of the human rights that go along with the other global players in our world. And I mean, yes, Chinese might have a different history and you have this history of Confucianism, but they're still humans and do, humans do want human rights, right? So I do think that the opposition is overlooking what we're trying to argue for, and that's for sacrificing a bit of the economy to try and get more le legitimacy and stability from human rights. Um, I'd like to build on my colleague here to say that the reason why switching so radically to a democracy doesn't fit, doesn't work with China is because if you, if you look at the history that they have, they have a 2000 year history of a meritocracy system, which is something that none of us have brought up yet. It's the idea of finding the people who are best qualified for government positions. To say that democracy is the only way forward, I think is overlooking Chinese history and Chinese culture, which is very different from the culture that we have all grown up in. And it's, it's the meritocracy system that I think we can all agree that we want the best qualified people in our governments and the meritocracy system of um, elevating people who have high competence and leadership and the ability to solve problems on such a large scale that China has because they control one fifth of the population is really what we should be looking for. And so further developing China's current government is what we need, not a radical shift to democracy, which doesn't have a foundation in China. The reason why Hong Kong worked better with its semi-democracy is because they had British rule for such a long time, and that created a different environment. So I want to clarify a couple mischaracterizations of my original argument about Hong Kong, um, the first of which was that Hong Kong, I never claimed that Hong Kong had a fully, you know, liberal democracy. Um, and I don't think the people who are arguing for Western liberal democracy in China are arguing that it has to be immediately a 100% representative one man, one vote system. They, we, we're looking for the increased freedoms associated with liberal democracy, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, you know, freedom to, to contest the government. Also, the idea that Hong Kong cannot necessarily be representative, I would agree that, you know, just because Hong Kong succeeded doesn't mean China could necessarily succeed with the same system. But to write it off as, you know, not representative because it's only 8 million people is, I think, missing the point, which is Hong Kong was created and allowed to be this way as an experiment by the Chinese government. The Chinese government experiments with different systems because its state power is so extreme that there is no opportunity for a change in government. And um, because this experiment was such a success, that indicates to me actually that democracy, which would allow more experimentation in this way, it might be uh, very ben beneficial. The third thing was that the opposition's argument was based largely on the idea that China does not need democracy for a successful economy, which is like uh, we said, sort of the counterpoint. It's missing the entire idea. Yes, you don't need a democracy for economic success, China has proved that. But my point was that Hong Kong has proved that you can have economic success under a democracy and all of the other benefits of democracy that people want and need to live a more fulfilled life are also possible and shouldn't be ignored just for economic success. I feel like, of course, it would be great if you could have a magic wand and just poof, you have a perfect democracy in China and amazing human rights and ama amazing economy, that would be great. I feel like everybody can agree on that. The question more so, the real contention lies in how 
practical? How, how possible is it really to implement a democracy? So I was not under the impression that you were advocating a coup. I was, I understand, I feel like what you're saying. You're saying gradually implement voting, gradually in implement perestroika. Uh, no, glasnost, sorry, glasnost. But what does that lead to? I feel like if you implement this like more political liberalization, that will inevitably lead to the end of the CCP. As in Russia, it will lead to the end of the country. You will have massive uprisings. Great, yeah, amazing. Like there will be nothing left. I've said this over and over, but I feel like you guys aren't really addressing it. Like what is left? If the CCP dies, you can't just like have a new party that will like take over all of the roles of the CCP. I'd like to point out the oversimplification of the opposition's argument. When he says, when the CCP is gone, because that's basically what the op opposition wants, they want a democratic system and there wouldn't really be a space for the CCP, maybe as a party of many, but the oversight of the CCP would really disappear. But what they're forgetting to mention is going from the system that is working, frankly, very well to a democratic system, a liberal democratic system, isn't easy. And I feel like the opposition is saying that, like, if you really want to get rid of the CCP, then just make a democracy. You, that's, that's not how it works. You can't make a, dem a democracy like that. And my second point is that previously, this, this was a while ago already, but um, one of the opposition members uh, said that China is late. China is not late. China, if you look at the Western liberal democracies existent now, China is not late to the game. They're right on track. Why do we need China to give up this system that is clearly working economically? And they have made advances uh, with regards to human rights and with regards to personal freedoms. Why do we need to give that up? Just because we are in a globalized society now and feel like we all should be the same. Why not let them have their system that clearly hasn't working for them and spare the Chinese people all the pain that they would have to suffer when going from the system that works for China to a system that is unclear would actually fit uh, the culture and the history of the Chinese people? Um, I would like to offer a different, a slightly different take on um, my colleague's response here. I understand why the opposition wants to see development in China regarding the political system. And I think that is possible on a slow scale. I think for the reason that my colleague just said, rapidly changing to democracy would not be ideal. Slowly, I don't know that it would be necessarily possible. I think what we have to look at is the Chinese culture, which is based off of a completely different system. They had a meritocracy system that worked. And so I think whether this includes the CCP or not, developing a more meritocracy-based government that can then focus on more human rights topics or whatever, I think that is more reasonable for China regarding its history and its population and its culture, rather than trying to force a, a government system that is born from a completely different culture onto such a large country. Okay, there's a lot that you guys have totally mischaracterized. First and foremost, you seem to be thinking that we're advocating for a coup that would instate some sort of democracy. 
That's not what anybody is saying, right? Nobody is trying to overthrow the CCP from one thing to another. What we're talking about is a process of liberalization in the realm of freedom and the realm of engagement in voting that does have a foundation. Like the economic liberalization can lay a groundwork for social liberalizations. It is incorrect to say that it is impossible to move from an autocracy to some sort of democracy. It's also incorrect to say that merit equals loyalty to the party, which is the current system in China, right? I am not saying that it doesn't make a difference. You know, if I'm passionate about the party and my colleague is passionate about the party to the same degree, maybe my math skills might, or their math skills, you know, might play in someone's favor. There's some sort of merit there, but the primary focus is really how much are you willing to give to the party? And if that's your life, if that's everything you've got, if you're willing to sell your soul, then in you go. That's not merit. The other thing is you keep talking about stability and maintaining stability. For, the Chinese, for China, but China for you seems to be the CCP. And I ask you, what about the stability for the people in Xinjiang? What about the stability for the people who have to leave their homes? What about the stability for the people that have criticized the government? What about the stability of all the people that have been slaughtered and imprisoned by the Chinese government? What about stability for them? Because I can't see it. What I think hasn't been said yet, and I think really encapsulates my position with my cohort's position as well, is that democracy is not perfect. And we in our Western belief system believe, most of us believe, that it is. If not, that it is at least the best option. I still firmly believe that that is not the case for China. China is a special case and is not like the rest of the world. In that, it has the largest population on the planet, and although it is 92% Han ethnically, it being so large, there are still hundreds of millions of minority citizens. Being able to combine all these different points of views is nearly impossible. And a democracy would only make that more difficult because as democracy, and I think although the opposition would refute this, democracy is fundamentally unstable in that every four years or whatever amount of time uh, you give for the president or the chairman or whatever, they only have a certain amount of time. And a lot of the time, instead of being spent implementing policy and legislation and all these types of things, is spent preparing for the next election, preparing to win, preparing to retain power, campaigning. That is not what the Chinese people are looking for, that is not their tradition, that is not their history. Their history and their tradition is one of Confucian meritocracy. And that means that the most able and the most willing people that are willing to lead their country and develop their country, which is what they have done so well in these past uh, three decades, these people get the power to implement the best policy, and of course that is debatable if what they're doing is the best policy, and in, and in some regards they aren't perfect. I definitely agree with that, and that is of course the human rights issue, but nonetheless, the goal remains the same, and that means that basically even if they aren't perfect now, that isn't to say that this system that they have now can't improve to a point where they become closer to perfection. Why not improve on the same system, which is one based on meritocracy, not one on showmanship? 
one of the points that has been sort of the strongest point of the enemy side is the uh, stability argument. Um, and one speaker just said something that I found quite strange, which was uh, think about the riots and the protests that will come if we would switch to democracy immediately. Um, and I ask you, the riots, sort of like the riots in Hong Kong or in Tiananmen Square and the, uh, and the Chinese government response to that, see, this is the problem. Even on the most boiled down, in its most boiled down form, the CCP fails to fulfill its function of maintaining stability because China is not a stable country. And then you had another speaker citing 2000 years of Chinese history and political culture to defend the CCP, which is very ironic considering the fact that the CCP's one of their main objectives is to sever their ties uh, from those 2000 years of Chinese history. So this leads us to the sort of uncomfortable conclusion for the other side that a transition of government and political culture is very much possible. And in terms of a Western liberal democracy for China and its people, it's even desirable. I think the opposition is overlooking uh, an essential part of democracy. Democracy is ruled by the people. And one of my classmates on the opposition stated that they're not looking at the voting process that comes with democracy. They're looking at the freedoms, the basic human rights. And I think we can all agree we are all for human rights. I definitely believe China needs to implement more of those with these kind of democratic ideals. But I think an essential part of democracy is this system, this multi-party system, this one man, one vote. And you can't just simply ignore that. We are. This isn't an argument of whether or not China should have human rights. It clearly should. But the Western liberal de democratic model, whether it can function in China, I'm not convinced of that. I think it would be very arrogant of us to completely dismiss the possibility that a meritocracy can function, and it has functioned in China for a very long time. Okay, in my closing remarks, I'm going to say something that, you know, the opposition can't actually refute, which is, you know, my ideal position. Um, I think that they have made a series of inconsistent and false equivalencies when it comes to China. The first being that China is not Russia. China is in a very different economic situation than Russia ever was, is so much more prosperous than Russia ever was. And they can use this wealth to create democracy or to create greater human rights in China. The second the CCP is not China and does not resent, represent the interests of all of China. And just because the CCP is, is effective at accomplishing their goals does not mean that the CCP is doing a great job to accomplish the goals of the Chinese people. A lot of the Chinese people are wholly underrepresented in the CCP or unrepresented overall. There's literally an ethnic cleansing going on in China. So you can't say that the CCP represents their interests. One more thing, GDP does not represent success in any country, especially in China. Just because China is extremely economically successful doesn't mean that they are at a point where we can consider them a successful country. They are lacking in human rights. They are lacking in free speech, freedom of the press, freedom to assemble, and, and so many other basic things that we maybe take for granted. And I think that might be the problem that the proposition is having here. I've heard several times that China is not shouldn't be compared to the United States or uh, the United Kingdom because it's far behind, but economically it is not. And so maybe we should not consider that a, a fair point. Additionally, meritocracy is actually possible within a democracy, and I don't know where the idea came from that it is not. If you look at the UK, for example, the House of Lords is completely through meritocracy, and the party system is based on complete meritocracy as the prime minister is chosen by the leading party, which is chosen through a, a robust system where people are raised to become political elites. And that is sometimes criticized for being too much of a meritocracy. So 
I don't think that that's a fair point. And finally, the idea that democracy is a revolution. I know the proposition keeps saying that's not what they're saying, but it is in fact what they're arguing the whole time. They're saying we want more human rights, we want more freedom of speech, but we don't want democracy. These are the characteristics of a liberal democracy. Liberalization can accelerate in China and can lead to a democracy. The CCP has a history of being able to change. That is why it is not Russia. That is part of why it is not Russia and can continue that trend toward change without some sort of massive coup going on or without, as the proposition suggested, an overthrow of the CCP in any sort of dramatic way. The government can develop and should develop. It's completely possible. Democracy is the path to human rights and is not the path away from economic success for China. And that's why I believe democracy is, of course, the right way for China to go. Western liberal democracy is the right way for China to go. That was a challenging, but dare I say, heartening debate. Thank you so much for engaging so earnestly, for being contentious, for listening to each other. You have clearly raised more questions than you have provided answers, despite your efforts to answer the problem. You all handled it expertly. I'm happy for you. I'm proud of you. That was an awesome debate. Thank you all so much for engaging so wholeheartedly. Listeners, we will catch you on the next episode of the Kogo Pod. <laughs>